0: Well, hi, listeners, and welcome to the Nerds of Business podcast. My name is Darren Moffat. I'm a director at WebBuzz, the growth marketing agency, and I'm your host. It's great to have you with us for another one of our special Uncut episodes. Today's Uncut session is an interview I conducted as part of our recent series on the mindset of the disruptive entrepreneur. My guest today is Suzette Bailey. Suzette is the founder of SimpleMarketing.ai. This is a new platform that uses artificial intelligence to make content creation faster and easier for small business. So that's probably got your attention. She's got a really interesting story to tell. She's already had a successful consulting business for many, many years, but recently took an unexpected detour into the world of tech startups and hasn't looked back since. In fact, her journey as an entrepreneur encapsulates many of the qualities we covered in season three, such as resilience, work ethic, and creativity. She describes herself as a recovering perfectionist, which I can totally relate to, and she shares some really powerful practical tips for business owners. So, if you're an entrepreneur or a business leader, you won't want to miss this. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this special episode of Nerds of Business Uncut. Three, two,
1: one, go. I love data. I, I love kind of looking do data. You need to have systems, you need to have structure. You're going to get chopped to pieces. Enthusiasm is unstoppable we kind of hit a point where we were like we need another lever. surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and richer than you
0: <laughs> this is nerds of business
1: so we're a very new company, actually. It's 20, um, it's what, June 2021 at the moment, but we actually only launched in March of this year. So oh. very new. And the company itself has only existed since January. So what we actually do is we help entrepreneurs and business owners to write the marketing content and other kinds of content that they struggle with each and every day using artificial intelligence. So it's about putting in a few keywords, key phrases, and it provides you content unique and original so it's not templated or any of those sort of things uh, or curated content and it gives you unique content on the particular topic that you're interested in and now you can then actually it's so it's about getting to your first draft so it's not about replacing people it's more of a productivity tool than an automation tool.
0: How did you end up becoming the founder of a content AI company?
1: Well, it's an interesting journey and it started with actually being being a quarantine officer for the Australian Quarantine Service. And uh, at the time I was playing around with internet because I liked te- technology and internet at that time. And I had a boss, my boss comes up, you know, so I would sort of say, oh, you can go on these sort of... Uh, like go and look after us you know on the internet side of it and take care of us i don't want to have anything to do with it and from there i actually developed a web development company with a few other people and they fell by the wayside over the years and what happened was i was sort of left being this the person of this one company that started as a web development company over 21 years ago and What it morphed into was a consult, an IT consulting company, working to the Australian federal government and a lot of other big, large organisations, doing around um, sort of services around information management, document content. So I've always been in the sort of the contents. Um, sort of realm for a long time and doing systems and making things, you know, really complex systems simple. Well, the thing is, um, a few years ago, I got a little bit sort of, uh, well, tired of working with government and the larger organizations. And I really felt a passion to working with small businesses and entrepreneurs. And so I tried a number of times to actually spin off a uh, sort of a startup from the company. In fact, a few other, a few of the ones were uh, a company or a business, sorry, called FrogSense and other Autopilot Business Systems. And I kept trying. And one of the things I kept failing and failing quite spectacularly at, was at mo- um, actually marketing these businesses. Because I was a, a, a trained scientist doing reporting and documentation work and that sort of thing with the Australian government, I never learned to write out of third person. So, uh, when I actually tried to a few years ago take you know sort of what I had learnt in this this huge amount of expertise and be able to help small businesses, I spot, I actually bombed spectacularly. Um, I used to get really really upset and frustrated by the fact that I could not sell a five hundred dollar course online, yet I could go and do a six figure deal, walk in and do a six figure deal really easily on the Century Seven side, mm. and I actually felt quite felt like a failure at times because it's like it, it kind not this hard everyone's doing it they keep saying you can make money online and um, from there what happened was I you know fast track a few years I had once the AI to, you know was sort of me being a nerd and an, um, a geek felt you know kept across a lot of technologies and, and changes and things and uh, when I saw AI technology had gotten to a point where it could actually ride indistinguishably from humans at least to that first draft level mm-hmm. I knew that there was an opportunity to take all of that experience that I had, you know, as being a small business owner and, and a um, entrepreneur and that, that, you know, what I thought at the time was a failure, but it was actually really me learning the problem. And that's actually how Simple Marketing came about is because it came out of that real deep frustration that I had of not being able to write marketing content myself.
0: In some ways, it conforms to the classic uh, cycle, doesn't it? Because, you know, often entrepreneurs stumble across a problem themselves, they struggle with it, and they have that insight. It's like, oh, well, if this is so difficult for me, I wonder what it's like for other people. Is this a widespread problem? And to that point, you know, what process of validation did you do? Like, how did you, once you kind of, you know, discovered the problem and you thought you had something there... How did you validate the uh, hypothesis that the solution would be a viable business? Well,
1: there's twofold. I did the... the the traditional market validation that you're supposed to do, which is go and talk to people and and really, but I'd also been keeping a lot of in tabs with a lot of that community where I had been trying to, you know, move into the small business market for a long time. So I actually would listen, not just sort of overtly going out, but actually listening to a lot of their conversations through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through their comments, through people's frustrations. But this, I wasn't the only one, um, but there was a lot of people who had this problem. One of the other things I, you know, sort of earlier this year, um, some of you may or may not be aware of a new social media sort of phenomenon called um, Clubhouse, which is an audio-based sort of app for social media. And for me, I, I loved it because it was the first time for social media that I um, it didn't it relied on me actually talking to people and solving problems as opposed to having to write content. Yep. You know, ago I, I hated it so much I actually entirely you know created an entire platform to avoid it. Great platform for you Wanting to test messages and that sort of thing, and ask in doing that market validation really, really quickly. So, I went into lots of rooms and I asked people. So, it's the same as going out and talking to teams, but on the flip side, um, even that, even knowing that that was actually that the, the challenges occurred and everything, um, in honestly, we didn't probably do as much on validating that people would pay for the service. So, we knew that there was people who, um, that and we targeted the wrong groups initially. And it's through pivoting that and and listening and getting that feedback from the the people that over time, when I say time, be like the last few weeks or last few months, um, we've pivoted to a point now that we're actually, ironically enough, coming back to a lot of the same customer base that I used to have with Sensory 7. So some of bigger organisations and some of the transformational um, or industry, the industry where people help online and that sort of thing. Um, so I think you can never stop validating your market, really.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, when you take a new product to market, uh, it's inevitably uh, a series of assumptions, you know, um, and, and you can... Hopefully you've got some data to back back up those assumptions, but uh, if every, if any if everything was a sure bet, it'd take a lot of the fun out of life, wouldn't it?
1: Although we were not replacing copywriters, we were absolutely changing how people would work with a copywriter. So we're actually absolutely working with copywriters and uh, they see it, you know, the ones who are getting on board with the technology and embracing it, are seeing it as a way of getting rid of the grunt work that they didn't really like anyway, so that they could spend more time in finessing content. And that absolutely is still valid. That is entirely true. That we are doing that, but where are actually um, some of the pivots that I mentioned that came about of us listening to our market and moving into that bigger market? Now, the bigger, the bigger area. Uh, when I say bigger market, I'm talking about bigger businesses. You know, businesses that are that really having a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't really work. They need it to be aligned to their business. And one of our p- very big pivots that's come out of all of the listening to people is that we're now tailoring our um, solutions to our clients. So essentially mass customization. So still being, uh, making it very scalable from us as a SaaS provider, but from the, con- um, from the business perspective, they get a, a solution that's tailored to them. In the area of say business analysis where business analysts would traditionally go in and they write huge amounts of user documentation other kinds of proposals all these sort of things so there's a lot of content that's generated in such an in a project but they're not actually necessarily billable if you're a consulting consultant organization or base you'll, you'll know what i'm talking about or they're not necessarily um it's important but not necessarily urgent in most cases and a lot of clients won't pay for it so by disrupting that whole way that business analysts and technical writers work and fast tracking them and making them more productive it's an area of projects or it projects in particular that's really never been touched there's not a lot of help associated with that particular industry there is for project managers there are for other you know for the developers and that sort of thing but not so much the business analysts and tech writers
0: these days a lot of the content and the social content that you're referring to uh, is produced offshore you know, by um, groups uh, in India or the Philippines uh, and often the quality of the work is really quite good. It's produced offshore because there's a substantial arbitrage with the cost, it's a lot cheaper. So it, it, it seems to me that that would be another logical market that you're essentially disrupting there
1: yeah absolutely disrupting and and changing so a lot of the 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 really good quality ones as you mentioned you can get absolutely fantastic quality uh out of those people unfortunately you can also get not so great content because a lot of them english is not necessarily their first language Mm -hmm. or or whatever language that they're actually writing in if it's not their first language so the ones who are good and this is games with copywriters be they um, outsourced in another country or if they're in your own own actual country they are going the, the good quality ones are going to find that they are they are going to change what they do and they're going to providing higher value services unfortunately the three dollar five dollar an hour type people are going to find that these types of jobs are not going to be available for them anymore because already we're seeing businesses using these kinds of services to um, fast track that and then using um outsourced labor to edit the content as opposed to creating it and editing it
0: yeah so that leads me to the next question you know what do these entities that you're disrupting you know uh what do they have to lose and, and what do you and, by extension, your customers have to gain from this technology?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm a big believer of trying to look for the you know the glass half full, not the glass half empty. But I absolutely know that I mean, disruption in itself is a form of change and change can be viewed very positively or negatively. The ones who embrace change, and, and the reality is as much as people would like to stick their head in the sand, disruption from AI technology, not just our kind of AI technology, but AI technology in general, is going to really, is already disrupting um, how jobs are created, how jobs are and what kind of employment um opportunities and and uh, sort of things are around. And I think the ones who embrace it are going to change and adapt and there will be higher value in particular tasks. I was even talking to someone yesterday who was talking about how eventually we're going to get to a point where we have people actually, you know, people's roles are going to be to manage AI processes doing different functions as opposed to staff who previously. And so there, there, there's still a role for us humans. And in fact, I think the magic occurs when AI and humans work together. We get AI to do the grunt work and humans do the finessing and the thinking outside the box and other things around that. And so the ones who can embrace that and actually adapt will thrive in this area. The ones who can't and are unfortunately Unfortunately, then I think they're going to they're going to find it more difficult moving forward. I mean, even an example of another AI application recently. I mean, you you know, you think about things like fruit pickers. Well, fruit pickers, like you know, there's always going to be you know, be able to do fruit picking. Well, there's a company that's actually created a a, a machine that uses AI to actually assess the quality of the fruit ready for picking, and then it has an arm that goes and picks the fruit. So the person in that particular case is actually helping to, you know, is um, moving or working with the machine and is monitoring the machine and monitoring the outputs Mm. and those sort of things. It's not actually, you know, the person's not actually picking the fruit anymore.
0: And, and I, I mean, I agree with you that the AI will create some jobs, but it will destroy vastly more jobs than it will create. And in fact, uh, I'm keen to see whether or not you're familiar with a book called Rise of the Robots. Have you read that book? No,
1: I'm not aware of that one. I'll have to go and have a look
0: at it. So Rise of the the Robots, uh, I think it's by um, an author called Martin North and it was um, was published about five years ago, five uh, five or six years ago, and I read it shortly after it came out. And frankly, it's a bit terrifying. And when you... uh, you go out and you talk to sort of average people out in the suburbs, and you talk about AI. There is a lot of fear about it. I mean, it's not something that people understand, uh, and any anything that someone doesn't understand, they they will often be scared of. But one of the main arguments of the book is that yes, it will create jobs, but it will destroy many more than it creates, uh, and that obviously. A societal issue. It's a much bigger topic than our remit here today, Suzette. Um, yes, you know, you obviously your business is disruptive. Um, it will have an impact, but you know, positive. But it, over time, businesses like yours will obviously mean that some people in current roles, they won't be work for them. What are the key disruptive forces of your offer, whether it be your tech, your business model, your distribution or, or what have you? What do, what do you think are the key forces that are, are really driving this disruption?
1: The first one is the fact that uh, you, where you may have needed actually human um, and you may have paid, as you you were saying before, alluding to it, with the overseas outsourcing and something, a job that may have taken two, three hours to do a single piece of content now takes probably 30 minutes, you know, a minute or so to write it with the AI. And then even, you know, if you spend another 29 minutes to actually edit it, you know, you're still, there's a significant productivity saving on time and the reality is that that's going to equate to less people being employed for the same roles. Although there are going to that, you know, you. Um, I was talking to a business the other day that actually has three people employed writing content. Well, if you've got them now, one of two things is gonna happen with them using the AI. They're either going to cut staff and have one person only on now to be able to edit um, the content that comes out and manage that process, or they're gonna be able to redistribute those staff members to other tasks. And I do absolutely take your point that it gets to a point where there are no other tasks that aren't being done, or that they've they're optimized the productivity of that particular organisation to the point where they can't do it any further. And that's where things like you know societal changes will need to come in. It's interesting that you you mentioned about you know sort of the that in that context of that book. For me, AI technology in general, and, and ours also, will be contributing to this. We're essentially the next industrial revolution the industrial, you know, the introduction of, of machines had a huge impact on the workforce and the um, AI is that is the technological equivalent of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we are in the fourth industrial revolution, um, so to speak. And I think, you know, it's a very exciting time. But clearly, yes, you know, uh, rapid change does make some people anxious. What personality traits do you find yourself drawing on most in... Your journey so far, especially as it relates to simple marketing.ai
1: well probably the first one is um, perseverance and there's and please don't put me on the to ask me who the quote was from because I can't remember but there was there's essentially a concept around that it's better to actually to persevere than it is to actually and be persistent than it is to be smart so essentially what they're and I know I I sort of stuffed up the the quote specifically but in essence what it's saying is you could have somebody you know two people who are really really you know one person who's really smart and everything comes easy to but doesn't have particularly a lot of persistence or a of um, resilience. And the other person who may not be as smart as that first person, but is prepared to keep going, even in the face of adversity, that person is always going to beat the first person. Obviously, if you, you've got the intelligence and that sort of thing, that helps, but it's not everything. And in fact, th- perseverance, resilience, the ability to keep going in the, the face of adversity is absolutely critical as both a business owner in general, but particularly if you're an entrepreneur and especially if you're an entrepreneur doing in a disruptive um, area, because you're up against people, as you say, and and I quite regularly hear AI is scary. And, you know, com- comments like that. And that can actually quite, can be quite demoralizing after a while that you're having to essentially educate people in the advantages of this. And it, the other qualities for me is collaboration. I built my first business through actually, uh, when I said that those three other founders left the business and I was left on my own, I didn't actually know at the time that business owners didn't do this. They didn't go around asking their competitors for help. And I did. I kept knocking on doors and going, can you help me? And that actually built a very collaborative um, mindset over the years so that I now don't even know how to do business without actually being partnerships and helping and connecting people because it always comes back to you and, you know, 10, hundredfold. fold. So perseverance, collaboration, knowing when to um, ask for help, knowing also that you're not alone. Um, you're You are not the only person who's gone through this and, you know, it can feel that way. And absolutely there are times when you just want to pull the doona back over the the blankets over the head and just go, no more, I've had enough. But you got to get yourself back up. you got to keep doing it. One of the things that I suppose the difference between now and when I was doing, uh, you know, starting the business a few, you know, sort of 20 years ago, um, my other business is I'm now a lot more um, forgiving of myself too. And I think people need to, provide an ability to be forgiving of both themselves and the people around them because we wear a lot of hats things are not always going to go to plan it's stressful and you are in a situation where you need to be able to just take a time out and go you know what I'm going to go and have that massage or I'm going to have the afternoon off and don't feel guilty about it
0: yeah absolutely
1: I joke about the fact that I'm an A personality with a, a recovering perfectionist. Um, it's probably not Excellent. that much of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the drive and the passion and the uh, the competitive nature is definitely there. There's no question about that. Um, sometimes I'm actually competitive with myself probably more so than I should be. Yep. Uh, but the drive for me is twofold. Now it's it's absolutely all of that. But the other thing and the more the, the reason for me and the big change was I... Wasn't feeling that I was getting purpose out of what I was doing. It was absolutely a fantastic cash business and it was built. You know, it was a multi-million dollar business. It was it was doing very well and you know It would have taken gone through to retirement and it would have you know, it's been fantastic and but i had i had done everything that i could and i wasn't really feeling that i was actually providing you know or doing what what i needed to do so my purpose was to be able to help other other people and so for me that i think was a big driver is moving into simple marketing and frog sense and all the other ones in the prior was trying to take that and be able to help um, business owners, because when all said and done, if you help business owners, you help businesses to grow. And growing, that means that helps the economy and it helps everybody. Um, It ultimately, even with disruption, it's still ultimately the underpinning thing of our economy. A big aspect for me is the purpose part of it. The other thing that too is I just like a challenge and I do like solving new problems. And I had pretty much, I used to joke that I could do my job in my sleep. And I actually got very, very sick a few years ago And I literally did it in my sleep pretty much. I would be, um, I wasn't able to work more than about 10% a day, yet I was still over delivering on the work. And I sort of went, you know what? This means that I really am being able to do this in my sleep. I need a new challenge. (laughs) Once I was obviously better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, yes, you know, there's, there it is, people. That's, that's, uh, That's where the drive comes from. And I think that's a really fascinating question, Everyone's different, of course. Everyone's got different drivers, you know. I remember when I was uh, starting my first business and setting up, I used to go and jump on a squash court and play squash against myself and pretend that my main uh, to-be competitor was the squash ball. So, you know, it takes all types. Um, But um, I I guess here's another question for you. Um, It's it's the sort of classic nature versus nurture question, you know. Like I don't think that – Everyone can be a disruptive entrepreneur. I think it's a, it's a pretty small cohort. Um, what do you think? Do you think uh, disruptors are born that way or can they evolve? And which applies to you?
1: Look, I agree with you. I think not everyone can be it and not everyone needs to be or should be. There are still, even with disruption, there is always, you know, some kind of jobs and things or other things for people to do. Uh, And we're all kind of different and we, you know, um, that side of it. At the same time, I think there's some skills that people can learn, um, but that's not the same thing. I used to sort of use this analogy that when I was working in the public service, I could do the job. I absolutely could, but I was a square peg in a round hole. And vice versa, I see some people who are public servants who come out and try to do business, particularly because for the people on the the call, I'm actually in Canberra, which is the Washington, D.C. of Australia. So uh, even not working in that industry, I still see a lot of people who are in that as a public servant. And there'd be a lot of public servants who'd come out and try to do business. And they really, really needed to be in a you know, in a, in a role, like an employee role, not a, an employer or business owner role, because they didn't have that, those sort of, those innate skills. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely both were valid um, situations. It's, it's about recognising who you are and being true to you.
0: What challenges do you foresee in the sort of, you know, maybe medium term uh, journey ahead for simple marketing? And and how do you think you'll overcome them?
1: Well, probably the, the biggest one we have at the moment is, uh, you know, us going up against our competitors in the US who are very well-funded and us being an Australian IT startup. Um, it's not as well-funded. Um, in fact, we're, you know, investment for IT-based, uh, sorry, Australian-based IT startups is, is much um, harder to come by in smaller amounts. So, you know, we're, we're sort of like feeling a bit like the David and Goliath type um, situation at the moment. So that's that's one big thing. But on the same side, flip side, Aussies are very good at adapting and uh, pushing, you know, sort of above our weight. Moving forward, um, some of the challenges for the business will be actually managing it as it evolves and it grows. Um, So what kind of skills you need when you first start, you know, when you start a IT startup or a SaaS business is very different to what you need to continue and growing a bigger one. So it's being able to recognize when is it worth, you know, sort of bringing somebody else in to potentially be a general manager and all those sort of growth, uh, sort of aspects? But yeah, look, I think that's the biggest one at the moment is just getting that transition from being a bootstrapped IT startup into something that's investor ready and you know moving forward. That's nerdy. So
0: that's nerdy, Suzette. You've just used a. Some jargon there. I know what it is, but I think we just need to unpack that briefly. You say bootstrapped. Do you just want to explain to people I what bootstrap it. means?
1: Apologies. I, I I usually stop myself. That's thank you for, for giving me the 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 uh, the call. Um, bootstrapping means as a business um, we have self-funded ourselves so we are instead of actually taking investment outside from outside of the company we have um, it has been sweat equity which means um, the founders actually putting in their time and and effort and expertise and not um, at the time being paid for it hence the word sweat equity as opposed to most people being paid and also putting in actual money that from the, the founders and that sort of thing so when, when you take investors, though, that's when you start, you are actually, uh, you're an invested um, business, you know, you've got investment in it.
0: Yep. No, that's a great explanation. Who's your most inspiring disruptor and why?
1: Well, that's changed over the years for me and one that comes to when you said uh, it comes to mind for me originally and and was alex mandozian who may or may not be very well known on this particular podcast but he actually led a lot of the internet marketing and anyone who goes and googles alex mandozian will see that he's been around for like 20 plus years in the internet marketing space and but i i actually had the pleasure of actually getting to meet him in, in australia when he was presenting at one time here and He was somebody that when I first heard him, this is an interesting story, I I actually was at the three-day conference with him and... Over the course of the three day conference, I developed a very massive infection in my, my what actually found out it was actually under my tooth and had to have um, surgery um, associated with it oh. um, later. And I actually was an incredible amount of pain. And on the third day, I knew I wanted to actually work with him and I knew he was going to do an offer to work with him and that sort of thing at that point. And yet I was at the front of the room and he was at the back. And he had made such a profound um, impact on me with what he had been, you know, what he was talking about and how he presented himself. I actually met, um, I would think I was the second person to the back of the room to, um, to sign up with him, even though I was basically almost delirious with pain because I was so keen to actually work with him. And I think the reason for that was because, you know, some of you will go online, if you go and look at him, He, you know, he can be quite gregarious in the U.S. market, but in the Australian market, he adapted for the Australian market and was very much more, uh, us Aussies, we don't particularly like sort of the really rah-rah type conference people. Yep, yep. And he yeah, he spoke to me on a lot of number of different levels around business ownership around internet marketing and a whole range of other things and he underst- i think he was the first person who gave me the permission to be me in that sphere and i had never really and i think a lot of us don't take the the note to actually you know when we're looking for mentors we're we're looking for mentors and people that we want to aspire to but we don't necessarily take into account the ones who are actually similar or on a pathway similar to ourselves already
0: Wow, well, I I'm not familiar with that name. I I it vaguely rings a bell, Alex Mendozian. I'm I'm definitely going to go out there and Google it and I want to encourage all of our listeners to do the same. But that's a fabulous story. Thanks for sharing that with us, Suzanne. I I like what you said right at the end there that he gave you permission to be be yourself or be the best version of yourself and I think, you know, that's ultimately uh that's a gift, isn't it? You know, that there's some generosity of spirit behind that. We now turn to a very famous recurring segment here at nerd to business Suzette called
1: nerd under pressure
0: nerd under pressure and uh, today is Suzette from simple marketing.ai you are our AI nerd we're gonna we're gonna frame you as the AI nerd today and I think you might even be the very first AI nerd we've had on the show so it's super nerdy here at nerd to business and Suzette we're after one killer hack or tip You can give to business owners for launching a disruptive tech startup. I'm going to give you five seconds thinking time. Okay, over to you.
1: Look, I think I touched on it before and that's probably the biggest, for me the biggest one even now is collaboration. I think it's, as you mentioned, it's a very understated skill and tip that people do, um, but it's a very powerful one because it's the basis of what all partnerships including business relationships. It's like somebody, even like somebody described um, investors, for instance, as a marriage that you can't divorce from. Well, your strategic partners and and the growth of your business is built on the strength of the relationships. And so the more you can be collaborative and the more you can work with others, the better that you are going to be able to get ahead.
0: Nice. I love that. I'm, I'm big on collaboration too. I think it's very, very underrated. And, you know, it goes back to that sort of classic, tenant you know the uh the sum is uh, or the whole is greater than the sum of the parts you know i mean you you're bigger you're more effective if you're collaborating with other people Nerd superpower. okay so this is nerd superpower and we already know Suzette, that you're a great collaborator and we know we know a fair bit about you already we've learned a, quite a bit over the last uh, 40 minutes or so but now what we need to know is your nerd superpower. So that's where we want you to nominate one skill or attribute or personality trait above all others that gives you the edge in everything you do in business.
1: Well, it was actually quite a few years ago and it was work, working with Century 7 that I actually myself recognized the superpower as a superpower. Because before that, I just assumed everybody did this. And I had been um, brought into a project that had been failing. I had had two project managers prior to me and was working. Basically, I was a last-ditch effort to get this project over the line. And I walked into this, um, and it was implementing a, a content management system into a very large organization. And when I walked in, she said, oh, I think within a few days, they went, so, you know, how does this particular software work? And I'm like, I've never touched this software before because the actual software I'd never sort of thing. And they went, but you, you know, you're like, I'm on something myself, but I'd give them options and I would give them, you know, this is what's going to happen. If you actually do this, you will actually have this result. And if you, you know, I could see the different pathways of what was likely to happen based on their discuss you know their idea or you know what actions they took and I would say look you know, if you do this this is gonna happen if you do this this is gonna happen and they're like um how can you see that how can you say you know like see those em- I'm like and I stood there and I'm like but how can you not? I mean you've been using the software for a while now and this is all this sort of thing and it occurred to me that most people's brains didn't work like mine. Long story short, my superpower is actually to be able to see patterns in how people use information and be able to adapt that and problem to a scenario so that I can actually see what the implications and ramifications of actions is going to be.
0: Oh, well, that might just be the best nerd superpower we've had yet. Pattern recognition. I love it. That's uh, that's pretty nerdy. And I'll tell you what, Suzette, because that's pretty nerdy, I'm actually going to pull out... A rarely used segment here at Nerds of Business, and I'm going to put you through what we call
1: the Nerdometer.
0: So, this is the Nerdometer, right? Now, we, we save this stuff. This is a very special segment, this one. We only bring it out to people that we think are really quite nerdy. And so, the Nerdometer, Suzette Bailey, is uh, it's a very simple contraption. It's uh, where we ask you to rate yourself out of 10. For nerdiness, so uh, if you uh, if you had to rate yourself out of ten as a nerd, what's it going to be?
1: Look, honestly, I'd have to say is a ten because I'm also a geek as well. Oh, you heard it here first, people!
0: She's broken the nerdometer. We've got another broken nerdometer. It's a it's a ten out of ten rating here for Suzette Bailey at simplemarketing.ai. We love the nerdy stuff, Suzette. Thank you so much for that all of my discussions with, you know, close to twenty-five top entrepreneurs now that most of them are really quite deep thinkers and they've often got a very restless mind. Now, whatever it is, it could be walking the dog, it could be meditating, the occasional nice glass of red wine, whatever it is, do you have a mental habit or process that you've used consistently over the years? to channel your creativity.
1: Oh, well the first one is is actually talking to other people. Funny that about the collaboration side. Okay. I find my mind, when people you know, give me problems or or talk about things, it comes up with things. It's almost like I it you know sort of rifles through the, the mental uh, index cards and say, oh you could use this piece of information. It's when I'm working with people and I do find that I am really a much higher value out, output wise and outcome based when i'm actually working with people the other side of it is when i'm going for a walk or I only, even things like showering and just having that downtime and i think a lot of people don't give yourselves enough just me time i was saying before around the you know going for a massage and those sort of thing and not feeling guilty about it because it is actually quality time if you allow your brain to filter through things and i'm a big believer that I. I, I do a lot of things on my gut reaction and the first thing you think about gut reaction is like oh well that's not you know it's not based on fact well the reality is and you know it's actually your subconscious going through and assessing all the different you know sort of things that you've gone through and and you're using your experience and your knowledge base to come up with what's the answer and you know trusting your gut and trusting your subconscious to make the right decision and backing that can i think can be very powerful too